Welcome to the Unborn Movement by Words to Inspire. We invite you to be informed, to be involved, and to be in prayer. On these podcasts, you'll hear stories from women and men who tell of the damaging after effects of legal abortion, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Such a dark stain on our nations around the world. The ripple effect on moms, dads, grandparents, and siblings impacts not only this generation, but generations to come. We are committed to also telling you through these dynamic stories about the amazing grace of our Heavenly Father. He offers love, forgiveness, and restoration to all who call on Him. We pray that every podcast highlights God's healing grace. And now today's podcast. Today on our Unborn Movement podcast, I'll be reading from Unborn Untold, True Stories of Abortion and God's Healing Grace. Today, I will read a story from one of the men. And here's today's story, God Heals, a Father's Story by R. Dyer. Several years ago, I came face to face with something that until then, was only a word I had occasionally heard. It was a word that I thought was just an idea that no one actually followed through. My girlfriend told me she was pregnant and then said, don't worry about it. I will take care of it. I'll have an abortion. What? Nobody actually does that, do they? Turned out she was serious. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. The pregnancy I was pretty sure we could deal with, but killing our child made no sense, and as far as I could understand, was not the answer. Abortion went against the principles I believed in living by. You do not ask someone else to pick up your tab, and you surely do not ask someone else to pay for your mistakes. Above all, you do not ask anyone, least of all your innocent unborn child, to pay with its life for your behavior. Pretty simple. We discussed it several times over the next few weeks, but she was adamant that abortion was the solution to our problem. I knew we loved each other, and on that platform, I tried to offer alternative solutions. I suggested we get married, but she argued that pregnancy was not a good reason to marry. Sometime later, she told, said that us getting married would make her the happiest person in the world, but at the time, she was not there. I knew she was frightened and that fear was behind her wanting the pregnancy to be over. But I honestly believed that she was jumping from the frying pan into the fire. I said to her, I know you. Your heart is too big. You can't do this and just walk away. But she was scared. I offered to raise the baby myself to no avail. I could not come to terms with killing our baby. The reality was that we had a child. The time had passed to decide if we wanted one or not. We had one. The question now was what did we do with the one we had? Killing it was way beyond my comprehension and something I had never truly believed anyone did. The right thing to do was to give this baby the best we had. In the end, though, I had no say, and she set the date. I tried everything I could think of to get her to see that ending this baby's life was not the answer. 
this was not a case of me against her. It was a case of trying to stop someone I loved from making a bad decision and killing someone else I loved. She saw the situation differently, and our relationship ended. When I finally grasped that I could not save the baby, I went home, tried to sit on the edge of my bed, missed, and landed on the floor. I spent the next three days there unable to get up. I was powerless to stop the death of this innocent child, and I was powerless to get up off the floor. I lived on the second floor of an old house that had a small balcony off the back door. Sometime during those three long days, I dragged myself to the exit and looked out in an effort to determine if I'd suffered a mental breakdown. Everything I saw made sense, so I figured I had not lost my mind. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't leave the apartment, but there I stayed for 72 hours. I was shattered. This little child, my child, was about to lose its life because of fear. How could love not prevail? When I did finally manage to clamber to my feet, the first thing I did was write down a song that came to me. I played it a couple of times and then put it away. Emotionally, it was difficult to sing. I had heard nothing about the baby, and I held on to a hope deep inside, like a little flame, that maybe she had changed her mind. A short time later, while having coffee with a friend, I asked about her, and he told me she'd had the abortion. The little glimmer of hope, the tiny flame, was put out. I left and went to find her. As God would have it, I found her walking down the street. After I'd asked several times, she agreed that we could talk. I simply told her that I didn't want her to go through life thinking I hated her because I didn't. I told her that I understand even if I didn't agree with the abortion. I wasn't trying to get back together with her. I truly did not want her to carry with her the thought that I hated her. We said goodbye and I thanked God that we had had a chance to talk. Now I could move forward. Those were difficult times for me. Sometimes I felt sad, sometimes bewildered. Other times I was in denial or feeling guilty and sometimes rage consumed me. Yes, rage. I knew I had to face this thing that I had never believed took place. Again and again, I asked myself, who would kill their own child? I'd had my eyes forced open to a huge injustice in our world. Not only my child, but countless others were victims to the same plight. I was gripped by a deep, heart-wrenching grief and sorrow that went past cognitive thought. My ex-girlfriend told me later that I had experienced the loss of my innocence. A good friend of mine often stopped by to see how I was doing. Sometimes he would sit quietly and listen to my brokenheartedness and occasionally my ranting, but he was there and I love him for it. He was a Christian who prayed for me and talked to me about Jesus for years. I had given my life to Jesus a few months before I met my girlfriend. I believe God brought my friend and me together to be fellow sojourners on the journey of trials and tribulations and jubilations as Jesus completes the work he began in us. A couple of weeks after saying goodbye to my ex-girlfriend, I received a call from her. She wanted us to try and get back together again. My first instinct and gut feeling was to say no. I still needed to deal with the abortion, to face it and work through it. My second thought was, 
it would be nice to not have to do that alone. Maybe we could do it together. So we decided to try and build a bridge back to each other. Over the next few years, we saw each other when we could. Occasionally, we would go to church, sometimes shopping, and other times we would simply be together. I held her while she cried and cried over the abortion and said that if she had one thing to do over in her life, that would be it. It was difficult to witness her pain and see how she too had been destroyed. The issue we had to face was not only the abortion, but the aftermath of the abortion. The baby was gone and we were left wounded. It was difficult to look into each other's eyes and realize that we had both put up walls. There was a place inside her where she would not go, a place in which she hoped to hide from herself something so painful, so difficult that she did not believe she could face it. And there was a place inside me where the pain, brokenheartedness, anger, and rage were housed. I had hoped that we could be there for each other as we took this on, the two of us against our pain, not each other. We knew of each other's walls. Many times I told her I had to face the abortion and deal with it, that I was not good at running. She countered that I would have to do it alone because she could not face it. After a few years, our relationship ended, not because we did not love each other, for I will always believe that we did, not because of the abortion, because forgiveness and healing were available to both of us, but you can't heal without facing yourself. I could not run from myself, and she was not ready to face herself. I not only lost my baby, but I lost someone I dearly loved. Over the next while, I had the opportunity to face and deal with every aspect of the abortion of my child and to deal with it. One of the few first questions I asked God was why he had allowed this to happen. A pastor friend told me that God had no choice, as my ex-girlfriend had a free will. I suggested I should worship her then because she could overrule God. In 2 Kings 18, King Sennacherib exercised his free will to attack the towns of Judah. God sent down an angel and wiped him out and his army. God could have stopped the abortion, but he did not. The answer that came to me was that sometimes God chooses not to intervene, but allows the natural consequences of our decisions to play out. That was an answer I could live with, although God would have more to say about that later. I saw a professional secular counselor. He said I should be able to get over the abortion. I never went back. I met a new friend. She had her own story to tell and was very compassionate, kind, and understanding. She was busy speaking, and when I had time, I would drive her around to her engagements. That gave her a little downtime between the several talks she would do in a day. One day she asked me to drive her to an engagement and then invited me to speak at it and maybe sing my song. I thought, okay, I can talk about abortion in a general sense, of course. I'd been very focused on the issue and had gathered a lot of information. While we were driving there, she revealed that she wanted me to tell the story of my child. That was something I had never done and was not sure I could. My friend assured me there would be hardly anyone there, so I shouldn't worry about speaking. It would be fine. When we arrived, the organizer met us in the parking lot and greeted us by saying, I am so glad you made it. Our hall is packed and there are several rows of people standing at the back because we ran out of chairs. This is the most we have ever had in the building. 
I prayed and asked God for the courage to stand up in front of all those people and bear my soul, wounds and all. The talk went well. I sang my song to an audience for the first time, and I made it through. Barely, but I made it. We showed a video about aborted children, and my friend gave a brilliant, honest, and compassionate talk, as usual. We went on to do more talks together, including speaking in schools. I also began to speak on my own. I was not one to get up in front of people, but in God's strength, not mine, all things are possible. I carried on with my quest to deal with all aspects of losing my child. I faced everything I could from comments people had made to those directly involved in the abortion. My ex-girlfriend had told me that the abortionist made several comments about me not supporting the abortion. That made things so personal, I believed I needed to deal with what he had said. I came across 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The healing of this land and us is not contingent on what the wicked are doing, but is directly related to God's people and their relationship with him. That would become a main piece of my thoughts and talks and actions. If God's people will be God's people, our land will be restored. I wrote a pamphlet about God's word, the church, and abortion. Jesus continued to speak to me through his word and his spirit. When King David's son was taken, he said, he cannot come to me, but I will go to him. That resonated with me. My child could not come to me, but one day I could go to him or her. One time Jesus spoke to my spirit three times saying, there is no such thing as death in the kingdom of God. Three times I answered, yeah, I know. Then he said, if there is no such thing as death in the kingdom of God, then someone you really love did not die in reality. Read the book of Job. Whoa, 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 what? First of all, that caused me to redefine what reality is. The world I am in is temporal. The world God is in is eternal. I needed to teach myself how to live in reality. In the last chapter of the book of Job, God restores Job and gives him back twice as many material possessions as he had lost. But he only gives him back seven sons and three daughters, the same number of children that had been taken from him. Why not double like everything else? Because alive on earth, Job had seven sons and three daughters. And alive in the spiritual realm, Job had seven sons and three daughters. Job had exactly double, 14 sons and six daughters. They just happened to be in two different places at that time. But they were all alive. There is no such thing as death in the kingdom of God. I spoke with a wonderful Christian counsel regarding, my, among other things, the loss of my child. She was a wonderfully skilled counselor, but upon seeing the rawness of the pain relating to my child, she referred me to someone she defined as having a gift. She told me she would not tell the new counselor anything about me other than that she was making the referral. I met with this new person. She did not ask why I was there, but suggested we pray. 
When I closed my eyes, the only thing I could see in different fonts in my mind's eye was a single name. As we prayed, she said to me, you have a child. He is not with you, but you know his name. Incredulous, I responded. Yes, his name is Daniel. After we prayed, I said, I've always felt the baby was my son, but I thought that being a man, I would lean that way. She replied, I am not a man, and I know it is your son. Shortly after that amazing account, Shortly after that amazing encounter, I did a brief tour with an evangelist. One evening, I sang my song, and after we were finished, a young woman came up to me and said, when you were singing your song, God's Spirit told me that your son was listening. I said, isn't that interesting? Because I did not introduce the song as being for my son. I said, my child. She replied, God said your son was listening. As God often does, he confirmed the truth he had told me. I have a son, Daniel, and he is alive. I will see him again. And he heard the song I wrote about losing him. I can't wait to see him and spend eternity together in reality. I renamed the song, Daniel's Song. One night, I went out to dinner with a friend and the anger toward the abortionist boiled over in me. When I got home, I dropped to my knees and prayed to Jesus. I have forgiven this person many times. Why does it still bother me? Jesus spoke to my spirit and said, you never told him. My first thought was that I could live with a little anger once in a while. Then I said to Jesus, it's late and I don't want to give him cause to say I was disturbing him. If I feel this way in the morning, I will call him. My feelings hadn't changed by morning, so I called the man who had performed the abortion, and the receptionist put me right through to him. I said, as a Christian man, I forgive you for taking the life of my child. After a long pause, he hung up. The impact on me was so dramatic that I went to speak to a pastor friend of mine. The connection between me and that abortionist was broken. Now it was me and God as Jesus continued to heal and restore me. I never felt any more anger toward that man and have been able to sincerely pray for him. Sometime later, that abortionist was shot while sitting in his house. He did survive, but as far as I know, he was unable to perform abortions again. I was a suspect, but Jesus had supplied me with an ironclad alibi, even though I didn't know I would need one. He took care of me. I was investigated, but that was the end of it. The shooter was eventually caught. I explained at the time that I was pro-life and that included the abortionist's life. At the time of the shooting, I had recorded on my own several songs with a pro-life theme that I had written and performed on numerous occasions. One of the songs was a plea of the innocent unborn titled, I Only Want to Live. Around that same time, I decided I wanted to put up a monument on behalf of Daniel, something to say he had been here, he had existed, but was taken. A Christian organization was willing to put up a plaque, but I did not have the funds, and it would have just been one plaque among many. One day at the end of a gathering where I had sung a few of my songs, a couple asked for a copy of the lyrics to I Only Want to Live. They said they spoke in schools and they felt those lyrics would be powerful. Sometime later, they called to say a monument to the unborn was being erected 
and asked if they could submit the lyrics for the monument. I was fine with that. I didn't hear any more about that for months. And then the couple sent me a picture of the monument with the lyrics engraved on it. I was amazed and thanked Jesus. He had heard my prayer and seen my heart. And in his compassion, he orchestrated something much larger than a plaque. Best of all, I had nothing to do with getting that song on the monument. Jesus had heard my cry and responded. I was and am completely blessed by this monument for Daniel and all the little ones whose lives have been taken. Months later, I finally made it to see the monument for myself. What a humbling experience to see your name in stone. God is good. The words they used from the song forever etched in that stone are, I only want to live. Can't you hear my call? My voice is very weak because I am so small. They say that I must go, that I must die. Can't you see my tears? Can't you hear my cry? I only want to live. Won't you hear my call? My voice is very weak because I am so small. I still have one heart-wrenching prayer before Jesus, our living God, and that is for my child's mother. I pray that she gives her life to Jesus and realizes how forgiven she is. I pray she realizes that he died on the cross so that he could forgive and restore her. If she or any other mother, father, or anyone who has had involvement in an abortion reads this, please realize that God loves you. I love you. Daniel loves you. And we all want to spend eternity with you in reality, in heaven. Well, thank you, R. Dyer, for this very impactful story on your a story of coming out and coming through healing after the abortion of your child. For those of you that are listening today, do know that God has wonderful healing forgiveness for you if you have ever had an abortion. Go to my website, wordstoinspire.ca. You can see the book there. You can purchase it through my website or you can find it on Amazon as well. I would love to hear from you. Love to hear how these stories are impacting you. And would you like more of them? So thank you for tuning in to the Unborn Movement podcast today. I'm Ruth Coghill with Words to Inspire for the Unborn Movement. Bye for now. As we close off today, I invite you to be part of the Unborn Movement. There are several ways to be involved. Why not join the Unborn Movement Facebook page, get involved in a local pregnancy center, or start the conversation in your church, providing a safe place for stories to be told. For there is a lot of pain in the pews. Find out more about our ministry at wordstoinspire.ca or contact me, Ruth, at wordstoinspire.ca. I'm Ruth Coghill for the Unborn Movement. Bye for now.